Hey, Jen. Hey, Tina. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. You're listening to Speaking of Racism. Rebecca Bex-Baruki, founder of Bex Life and the Blissed In Wellness Movement, is a mother of five, author, TV host, meditation and yoga guide, and birth doula. She has taught meditation as a profound act of self-care that can be executed effortlessly and effectively to hundreds of thousands of individuals online and in live workshops and public events. Rebecca's mission is to make mental health support and stress management tools accessible to all. Most recently, Rebecca started her own public publishing imprint, Wheat Penny Press, to publish her children's big, messy book series. Thanks, Jen. We are going to get right into this episode, and I just want to set it up a little bit because the first part of the discussion, we talk a lot about Bex's identity, which she has been very vocal about as a Black biracial woman. So I'm really excited to jump into the conversation with Rebecca Baruki. As your friend, Mm -hmm. I have observed you living your life and showing up the way that you show up. And that has Mm -hmm. been a lot of, there's been an element of you having to explain being held accountable to addressing confusion, offense, misunderstanding, and and holding yourself accountable to the Black women in your life Mm -hmm. and Black women in general. Mm -hmm. And me not knowing how to ask you about that Mm -hmm. because you are a biracial woman and not knowing how to, I think, verbalize as I've watched you navigate the relationships that you've had with Black women in particular and not knowing how to ask what that's like for you, while also at the same time recognizing that you honor your relationships. You are a very relational person. And the folks that are in community with you, that is what is important to you. And that's what I know as your friend. And and what I also know about you is that there's a lot of, I don't know if the uncertainty is the word, but there's a lot of navigating that you have to do that's very unique in your identity as a biracial woman, as opposed to Mm -hmm. if you were a white woman or if you were a black woman. And I don't even know how to ask questions to you about what that experience is like. Well, thank you for at least considering how to ask the question. I, I appreciate the gentleness of that approach and also like the careful way that you have um, watched the way that you affect other people, the impacts that a question can have really. Cause I know a lot of people do not do that. <laughs> a lot of people on my social media do not do that, but you would not know, even as a friend, you wouldn't know that I was going through something if I wasn't prepared to be very open about it. So the reason why I talk about this in public is because it is an issue within the black community, within brown communities, that white people for a very long time, hundreds and hundreds of years, has used to exploit. Well, first they've created it, this division between black and brown folks within their own communities. And then they exploit it to kind of divide and conquer. And What's been happening with me and what people that are listening cannot see is that I am a biracial woman. My father is black. My mother is white. But I also, to a lot of people, am white presenting. I am someone who 
passes for white, not by my desire, but when I'm out in public and I'm not having a conversation, someone could look at me and say like, well, she's something, you know, like maybe she's Hispanic or maybe she, you know, whatever. When I went to Israel, everyone thought I was Israeli. So it's, um, you know, I have that kind of ambiguous, ambiguously brown appearance. And um, what that does too, for white people, the confusion it causes for white people is that white people don't know what black people look like. They don't. In the same way, a lot of times straight people will say, I don't have any gay friends or I don't know anyone who's gay. And I'm like, yeah, you do. You don't know anyone who is stereotypically flamboyantly gay, like the characters on TV. So I've had white people say, okay, well, you're black, but you're not black, black. Mm. And that means so many things. <laughs> they're, they're trying to make it a compliment when it's not. They're also insulting people in my community. It's uh, the, because of the way I talk, because of the texture of my hair, because of the, you know, the lightness of my skin. I couldn't be black. Because of the way your children look. Because of the way my children look. Because of the way my children look. And um, that's one thing dealing with white folks, right? With this. It's very easy for me to say, um, well, this is the way it is. And you're going to listen to me. It's very easy for me to stand in my blackness when I'm speaking to white people. What is more complicated and nuanced because of the level of respect that I have for the conversation and the people I'm having it with and the carefulness that I feel that I must approach the conversation with black folks is that I have not lived the experience of an unambiguously black woman. I haven't. I don't receive the vitriol. I don't get excluded from things. I have not been oppressed because of the way that I look. Because people look at me as maybe not white, but as safe. I have a lot of access. I have a lot of privilege. I have a lot of white privilege. And when I'm having a conversation with a black person who is challenging me and my permission to be in a certain place or uh, the appropriateness of me being in a certain space or me having access to things that were made for black women, when they are challenging me, I have to sit back and go, okay, this is valid. This is something that I have to at least listen to and consider. And this is an opportunity for me. Actually, it's imperative for me to look at how I'm showing up. So recently, you know, within the past year, I've been working on this book. I released this book um, about a little girl and it's, and it's really modeled after my life, only uh, her parents, it's opposite. Her father's is white and her mother's black. And she is a biracial little girl. And some black women have challenged the appropriateness of me writing that book because she is not ambiguously brown. She's brown, even though it's modeled after me. For me, the mission and the purpose of the book and the impact that I wanted to have would not be served by me making her look like me. It's important that she is a black child and a black story is centered and her experiences are centered. So it doesn't make me feel 100% confident that I'm doing the right thing. I only know that the impact that it's having, I measure it against the impact. But part of that impact is that it is offending Black women. And that's a part that I'm, I'm struggling with. So, you know, I can't call it, it's colorism. It's a lot of things. It's classism. It's a lot of things. But what's important for me to remember through this entire process is to not hold any contempt 
against the black women who are bringing this conversation to me because this was not caused by them. It was caused by white supremacy, systemic racism, and hundreds and hundreds of years of white folks trying to tear the black community and families apart and doing that through rape and incarceration and poverty, imposed poverty, all of those things. So because, and my last name, the the last name of my father, Boyer, was the name of the slave owner. I'm very fortunate to have records all the way back to that. Um, Because my great-great-great-grandmother was raped and my ancestors had to suffer that, as well as many, like, you're looking at a light-skinned, but you're looking at almost any Black person in America now, because, like, in comparison to Black folks from Africa, like, very, even, like, dark Black people in America are light compared to some of their African sisters and brothers, right? So we can't hold each other, we can't hold contempt for each other because that happened to our ancestors. Because we're actually all in the same boat. Um, What is it, like, like, the average Black person in America, the, the average African-American person, if you will, is, has a 26% European ancestry. Mm-hmm. My father had 20%, you know, I don't, I, I find it important to ask the question. And what I know about you is that you've always wanted to write a children's book. So when, when you envisioned Zara, mm-hmm. of course you were going to write a children's book from your experience as a child. So, or- I mean, a lot of people aren't. A lot of people aren't. There's actually a movement called Own Voices, which is controversial. It's about people, the author should have a similar lived experience as the character that they're creating because most Black characters are written by white folks. And the same is happening in the LGBTQ community. That's shocking. And I, I, I guess I shouldn't be shocked. But to hear you say that most Black characters are written by white folks, Mm -hmm. that is a level of ignorance that I have, because to hear Mm -hmm. that just, it it blows my mind. But then at the same time, it's like, well, of course, because white supremacy, because of where we are, right? Um, But what I know about, here's what's important to me, and you know, we talked about this really briefly before we started recording with the podcast, is giving black and brown folks an opportunity to share our stories in our way. And so when I think about Zara mm-hmm. and the book that you wrote to to Rebecca as a little girl, mm-hmm. of course yes. you're going to write a book about a biracial child because that is who you were. Of course to me because I couldn't write a story with a white character. I I I mean like centered. I couldn't it wouldn't it's not my experience. It wouldn't make any sense to me. I remember being in sixth grade and I sat behind a girl named Shannon Gadboys. <laughs> and her father was a cop and her mother was a nurse and it was like that whole thing. And she had this long, silky, light brown hair. And she was like sixth grade pretty, you know, when you're little, like what you consider pretty. And um, I just wondered what her life was like. I wondered what it was like to wake up and look the way that everybody thought, you know, like what pretty was. I really would, I remember sitting behind her and just like fantasizing about her life and her family. And it's something that's so foreign to me. I could never write the story about a little white girl, just the same way I could never write a story about a little black girl with dark skin, because I don't know that experience. I've heard 
the experience. I've learned about the experience. It will never be my experience. And therefore I don't feel like I have a right to tell that story. Even if it's not about like race or anything like that, because Zara is not, these books are mindfulness books for children. They support mental health. They're not about race. We don't even discuss her race. We never will. We never will. And let's talk about that. Let, let's talk okay. about this for a moment. Let, let's kind of just even introduce a little bit more formally, um, letting the audience know that you have a book uh, and you, you have a book series. And there is at the center of this book series, a seven-year-old <laughs> girl named Zara. And mm-hmm. your first children's book is called Zara's Big Messy Day. And mm-hmm. This book is so beautifully written and illustrated. I also just want to give mm. shout out and props to your illustrator. It is really fun to read um, and visually exciting as well. Um, and it's important to me that, and as I know it's important to you, that we uplift Zara and we uplift her story mm-hmm. and we continue to follow the different experiences that Zara has. And I know then what's up next is Zara's big, messy bedtime. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) just to kind of give some framework and we'll talk more of course about Zara, but what you're about to go into. And so I want to kind of set it up is that Zara is a biracial child. And so just wanting, I would like to know why is it important for you to tell her story as a biracial child and to do it in the specific way that you're doing it? When people talk about Black authors, most of the authors, okay, when white people talk about Black authors, because I want to make this distinction because it's, it's really important for me to touch on the fact that white people, especially white people listening, like you just don't, you're not exposed to experiences outside of your own. You are considered the norm. So you don't consider the fact a lot. Uh, and, and I really want you to sit with this and, and, and just before you defend or get defensive, you don't look at black people as people who are living outside of stories of oppression and racism and slavery. Black history for you starts with black people coming over on a boat on slave ships. Like you read books by black people, but they're, you know, so you want to talk about race, which is an excellent book or, you know, me and white supremacy, which is an excellent book. Um, There's these amazing black anti-racism teachers out there, but there's also Octavia Butler writing science fiction. There's, you know, there's, there's romance, there's Toni Morrison, like telling stories about blackness, but telling stories about black people. Right? Like she's not interested in writing about white people. So there's, there's romance, there's science fiction, there's a history, there's like every single genre mystery. And you're buying book after book after book about racism. And it, at some point it's like, you're looking at black people as these one dimensional objects mm. of service. And it's no different than slavery because you're enslaving you're enslaving their abilities. Like you're, you're narrowing down, you're making them this one thing that serves you. And personalities, they're enslaving mm -hmm. our experiences. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So with Zara, 
she's obvious, like her mom is black. <laughs> like her mom is beautiful and she has natural hair and her dad is white. And he's like this tall skinny guy with glasses. He's like kind of nerdy and like you get it, right? The kids will get it, but they're not going to get it in a way that it's a problem or that it's weird or that it's different from them or their experiences. They're just going to see Zara. They're just going to see Zara. I want them to see her before they see what's different about her. I want them to see her face. I want them to see her beautiful color and her big natural hair, but I want them to see and get to know her. So that's why that's important. This, and for the same reason, her parents are divorced in the story. And I know that like, you didn't know that when you read the first story, you were broken up about it. I really because, was. I, was very, yeah, I, didn't, really I didn't bring it up. It was that daddy wasn't there at dinner. He wasn't there at bed bedtime. We didn't really talk about it. The next story, we, it's very obvious. He lives in a different place. But divorce is a normal part of every day. It doesn't necessarily have to be traumatic or bad. Mama and daddy get along. Like they have this family that unit that is not broken. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, the two people living in different places. So every single topic, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I want to be so careful about this, I want it to be presented as neutral and let the child decide, let the child make that judgment for themselves on how they feel about it. Um, in the first book, she's teased by a little girl named Penelope and a child um, or student recently at a school visit, because I take the books on tour of schools, title one schools, schools in um, areas that are not receiving a lot of attention or resources. Um, and a kid asked me, why was Penelope bullying Zara? Well, why was she being a bully? And I said, hmm, I wouldn't be quick to call Penelope a bully. I think maybe she was someone that was just having a bad day. And you know, like how you act when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're having a bad day, you might like snap at your parents or like, you know, pick on your little sister or brother. And they were like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, so that's, that's what's happening with Penelope. And the next book, we're actually going to figure that out. We're going to talk we're going to talk to Penelope about boundaries and teach her how to treat people. <laughs> so, okay, so she's not like this bully in training. She's not like this little mini bully that we're, we, right. We, we, uh, and right. let me ask that, you know, because that's an, an interesting question. And I want to go back to something that you mentioned as far as Zara being neutral. Um, mm -hmm. but, with, but with, you know, bullying being a real thing that we, that we, that children deal with. Um, and that schools yeah. and administrations are, you know, we hear the, you know, zero tolerance and understanding the racist um, things behind that type of, of, of uh -huh. vernacular um, and message. But Penelope, really, it, she's the diff just to differentiate between the fact that she's not a bully. She's a kid that mm -hmm. had a bad day and treated somebody in, you know, maybe she, her behavior was, and I don't know this, I'm trying to figure out, I don't think I saw this, read this part of the story. But I just want to, I'm just asking about the distinction between Penelope being a bully where, mm -hmm. where as an opportunity to un, become, come into the awareness of the way that she's treating people badly and then yeah. have a shift. Or is it that she just was being mean in a moment? Yeah, she was being mean in a moment. And there's no turn, there's no solution in the story because the solution, the Zara's big messy day is about Zara using a tool to help mitigate her own discomfort, her own worry, her own anxiety. So Penelope is not centered. Penelope is like a side person. She comes in, she causes a disruption in Zara's life. And Zara's like, this is what I'm going to do. And Penelope like walks away in a huff. And that's all we deal with with Penelope. <laughs> so she's fine. But the distinction about the bullying and, and yeah, 
bring up racism about it is because if a child is um, not eating well, doesn't have maybe their parents fully available to them because they're working a lot or they're going through something, dealing with financial hardship, whatever. If a child is having um, insecurity about where they're going to live, they're not going to show up to school, you know, being prim and proper and happy and joyful. This is not happening. I was that kid. I was that kid. I acted out a lot. I acted out violently. I was never a bully one day in my life. I was a kid that was really hurting and needed someone to see that I was hurting. I needed attention. So when you are quick to label a kid who's acting like that, and this is, and you know, because of society, kids that are suffering like this are going to be the black and brown children. And it's like, it just feels so strategic when you say it. That's, that's the school to prison pipeline. It's like a kid is suffering. They come to school, which should be a safe place. They're labeled as a problem, as a bully. Then they get into the system of discipline. So now they're getting detentions. They're being disciplined in way different ways, way disproportionately different ways than white children. They're not receiving help or guidance. And then it just causes them to react with um, contempt and anger and act out more. And now all of a sudden you're turning these children into criminals. They were not born criminals. They were not bullies when they came to you. They were kids that needed help. So with Penelope, and Penelope's a white chick. She's a little redhead and my, my oldest daughter has red hair. And she's like, why'd you got to make <laughs> the, the, the bully, you know, whatever, Penelope, the redhead. So she's, um, she's someone who has her stuff. We don't need to know about it in the first book. In the third book, Zara, again, because the story is centered around Zara, Zara's going to be like, what's up with you? She's going to ask the question instead of labeling her. Mm-hmm. And Penelope is going to tell her and Zara is going to be like, all right, and I'm going to tell you why this is not the way <laughs> to make, this is not the way to deal with that problem. So Zara is actually going to be delivering the wisdom in the third book. And that's going to be in contrast to the first two books where she's getting wisdom first from her mama and then the second one from her grandmother. Yeah. So Zara is going to give some wisdom. I love that because that's what these books are about. These books are mm-hmm. equipping children with the tools they need to take, to, yeah. to be empowered in their own lives. Yes. The message is number one, if you are feeling out of control, asking for help is not only an option, it's necessary. And number two is you can empower yourself to move forward and make the life or the situation that you want from asking for help. So first book, mama gives Zara a tool. Zara uses it on her own and she just has success. Second book, grandma gives her a tool. Zara uses it on her own and has success. The third one, Zara is going to deliver the tool because she's growing up. Even though she's going to stay seven forever, she's growing up. She gives it the tool and Penelope uses it and both of them have mutual success because they become friends. Spoiler. (laughs) I I appreciate the spoiler alert that you gave us. Thank you. Um, I want to go back to you. You referenced, you know, Zara, you want, I don't want to mess up what you said, but just referencing Zara being neutral. I, I Mm -hmm. I see Zara I don't know that I would use the word. I, I don't think of Zara. I don't think of her as neutral. I think of her as normal um, mm-hmm. in the sense that because of her beautiful brown skin and her natural hair and the fact that she has, that her mother is a black woman and her father is a white man, what I love about the, the message that isn't in your face about mm-hmm. her race, it is about the little girl who is Zara and the people mm-hmm. in her life and what makes her her and what are the unique 
things, similarities that Zara has with all other seven-year-olds, right? So in that sense, I, what I love about Zara and the reason that I want to, and I love uplifting Zara books is the normalcy, is the fact that representation matters. And because mm -hmm. she's not a little white girl, because we've seen all of, and what we see in in so much of everything is we know the story of the little white girl and all of the experiences the little white girl has, because that is the story that always gets told. That is the story that's always um, up first and is what is normal. But Zara coming onto the scene as who she is being told and written by Rebecca Baruki and who you are as a biracial woman the normalcy and and entering into the I won't say entering into the market as though this is the first you know book, um, but her ability to just be who she is without it being about her race that is a beautiful part of her. The but it's also not about what the book is. It's not about what Zara is, and so just the normalcy of it. Yeah, I mean, normal to me is a tricky word because it's so subjective. So Zara's life is normal for me. Mm -hmm. pain in the ass little brother like that's my little sister <laughs> um parents of different race um dealing with anxiety like all that's so normal to me but when you say the word normal again to white folks they only see they see whiteness so they not only see white people but they see whiteness and all of the ways that black and brown people are excluded from conversations like excluded from opportunities so um, why I say neutral is because I want people to, I want people to receive her and her story without too much information packed on top of it that would trigger their prejudices, their preconceived ideas, their internal bias. It's going to be there. Like I can't like remove it for people, but I just don't want to bring it up front so that they start forming ideas before they get to know her. So that's why I'm saying neutral. I'm going to let them have, let the children decide. See, children are going to do a great job. Yeah, they're, they're better than us. You know, kids hear their parents and whatever, but they, they love, I'm telling you not one time I read into all these kids, white, black, brown, whatever. No one has brought up the fact that her mother is black and her dad's white and kids are honest. They ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Why does she have a dragon? What is that weird thing? I have a boom box in one of the pictures with cassette tapes on the floor. And they're like, what is that? <laughs> so they, I mean, they ask about everything and they are raw and honest and yeah, they don't, they don't put up filters. They have not asked about that. They haven't. And what that does is it doesn't make them colorblind. It just, it makes it, it does make it normal for them. It does make it normal for them. So then they grow up and they go out in the world and then they're not like standing there with their mouth wide open when they see an interracial couple walking by, right? It's just, that's, that's the goal here. It's not to avoid the conversation of race. I will have that every single day and I'll have it if a kid brings it up, 100%. And I'll be very honest. I just want to honor that Zara is a whole person. And for the purposes for I can teach, I'm not an anti-racism instructor. I'm just a woman with her own experience, but I am a meditation guide. I am someone who can speak on anxiety and depression and help people work their way out of it. That's what the book's about. It's about helping her with her emotional health. And what we never see in books, we'll see, we'll see black characters Thank God for Doc McStuffins because she brought blackness and, and black children into a whole different area. What we never, and she's like centered and she's the star. What we never see 
are books about stories about black children that are talking about mental health, um, emotional health. We'll see a meditation book for kids or a yoga book for kids that has like, oh, like, oh, we got to get the Asian kid. We got to get the black kid. We got the white kid. You'll see that. But Zara is a person. Like they're going to know her story. They're going to be in her universe. She has, I talked to my illustrator, Danielle Pioli, and we get so excited about creating Zara's universe and like all the kids and how they're going to look. Um, like she has a friend named Quentin. She meets him in the second book. And he um, is a little black boy. And when Danielle put his outfit on at first, she sent it to me and he had a basketball on his shirt. And I looked at it and I was like, hmm, now black boys play basketball, right? <laughs> we know this. But I said, let's not do that. Let's not do that. Can you put this? Now he has an atom symbol on his face, like a science little yes. symbol. So it's like down to that detail that it's really important that people are seeing white kids, but also black children, right. Are seeing themselves with, um, in a different light than they're used to seeing themselves in media or in books, you know, like it, it presents it's aspirational for black kids. And then for white kids, it makes them go, Oh, well, of course, Quentin would be into science. Like, instead of, of course, he's good at basketball. And they got that already because that's what they see, right? So yeah, Quentin's, oh, he's going to, oh, I cannot wait to develop his story. <laughs> they don't have small kids uh, anymore. Mine are bigger kids. Mine are small mm -hmm. adults. But I love following Zara and these books and her stories. And um, the reason that the way that you even came into my life in the first place is because last summer um, at the end of one of the Speaking of Racism podcast episodes, you were sharing with the audience and inviting everyone to be a part of the Kickstarter to get Zara's mm -hmm. Big Messy Day funded and into the hands of children in schools and libraries everywhere. And so this is kind of our follow-up. Mm -hmm. Where is she now? Where is Zara now? So what else do you want to share with the audience as a, um, as a catch up with Zara and Wheat Penny Press and how can we yeah. continue to support? So I just want to say in a very non hokey way that this has become so much bigger than me and any dream that I had for it. I wanted to publish maybe like a couple hundred books and have some people read it. Um, the Kickstarter, I said it $2,750. We hit that in the first 14 hours and we ended up um, raising $16,000 with like no preparation because I wasn't even going to do a Kickstarter. So it was very successful. Um, we, I, part of the Kickstarter was to put free books into the schools and I was just, it was a direct giving effort. It wasn't anything like I wasn't trying to set up a charity. I just wanted more kids to have the book and we raised enough to give over 750 books to kids. Now we're up to over 1200 books, um, that have, uh, been allocated for the kids. Hundreds of them have been delivered already. So very, very, very exciting. And because I um, self-published this book, when you go through the process of getting like your barcode and your like ISBN number, um, you have to name yourself as a publisher. And I was like, okay. So I called it Wheat Penny Press. It's a tribute to my father. And it quickly evolved into, wow, I can actually get, I can give opportunities to other authors. 
So not only am I publishing the second book of mine, I'm also publishing another book by a wonderful woman and Philadelphia-based designer, Addie Durant. And her book is um, gonna be called The Day We Found Our Yay. It's three little black girls with like magical powers. And it's just, oh my God, I can't wait. I can't wait for you all to see this book. I'm so excited. And what Wheat Penny Press um, is also, we also uh, started a nonprofit. So now it's a legal registered nonprofit. It's the WPP Little Readers Big Change Initiative. And that is going to um, be solely dedicated to getting books and assemblies and wellness education into schools like Title I schools, schools in areas that are not being served um, or paid attention to. There's a lot of good people serving these communities. They're just not getting the attention or the resources they need. So there's that. And we developed this nonprofit. We're going into 501c3 status. It's very exciting. It has become so much bigger than I thought. So the next campaign, <laughs> the next campaign is not for the books. It's for um, Wheat Penny Press uh, Initiative. And we are aiming to at least fill 100 classrooms with free books. Um, and you can buy a book for yourself too. That also helps. But we want to fill these classrooms and this is, this is the mission. And the, we have a, a five point core mission, you know, for the, for the publishing, uh, for the publishing part of it. And one of them is, um, one of them is access. And we do that through the nonprofit, but another one is giving emerging authors, creatives, illustrators, um, a chance to put out their work based on the quality of their work and not their, the size of their platform, which every other publisher is doing. We're not looking at your numbers. We're looking at the impact that you can have with your words. So, and we're also very committed to the own voices campaign. So we will not be putting out books about LGBTQ children, which is important to me because I have a trans son, an eight-year-old trans son. We will not be putting out books written by cis gender hetero people you know, that's not, that's not what's happening. Um, you know, black characters going to be, you know, created, written by black folks and same with every other type of kid, because that's not what's happening in the industry. It's not, in fact, I, you know, for the show notes, I want to send you a couple stats that are like really, they're really remarkable about what's happening in children's publishing, which is the most progressive, um, part of the publishing industry. Children's publishing is by far the most progressive, but still there's so far to go. It is really incredible. And I just want to honor your story in that you have always had a dream to publish a children's book and to write a children's book. And you went from writing a children's book to now you have your own publishing company and you will be affecting other authors, um, and a diverse group of authors who have that same dream, but don't always get that same opportunity and don't have the same access. And now you're going to be providing that for other folks. And I think that's one of the things I love about you, that you have this incredibly big heart, um, and, and you look for ways that you can show up to help others. And you are incredibly transparent with how you show up and the things that you know and the things that you don't know. And you are transparent and willing to have conversations with folks and, and answer the hard questions and hold and be held accountable. Um, and I, I admire that in you. And I just wanted to honor that because I know that about you. Well, thank you. I mean, I learned it from, and just be really plain. I learned it from church. 
you know, the church I was growing up in um, and my parents' values of, you know, no hoarding. You learn it in yoga too. Like what I'm given, it's luck. You know, my good health, the way I look, by even being like hugged and loved, that's all luck. So if I'm not sharing it, then I'm kind of being a jerk. So I learned it from church <laughs> and I learned it from the black community. I learned it from the black community because especially from black women, the sisterhood, while it has some cracks and some, you know, like human beings get into it and have differences and, you know, whatever. It's a true sisterhood. It is a true sisterhood. So when you rise, I rise. When you hurt, I hurt. Like, and when I have success, I will make sure that you have it too. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like this is the way like everything should be. Mm-hmm. I want to model that, but it also, it's not extraordinary. Like it, it really isn't like we, this is what everyone just should be doing. Cause this is what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I love the way that you are listening to what you've been taught and that it's coming through in Zara's story and in yeah. <laughs> So that's, I listen. So Zara listens. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned that you are also a meditation coach and, um, I, you actually are going to be a guest teacher on an upcoming legacy trip where you will be leading mm-hmm. meditation sessions when we mm-hmm. visit the lynching memorial and the legacy museum from enslavement to mass incarceration in Montgomery, mm-hmm. Alabama. Um, hopefully this summer. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that you were, uh, we were supposed to have you join us in February and you weren't able to at the last minute because you got sick and that's just what happens. Mm -hmm. That's life. So really excited about having you in, uh, coming up in, in August, hopefully. So, uh, Mm -hmm. I just wanted to insert that and let folks know if they want to be a part of a legacy trip where they will also get an opportunity to be on the trip with, uh, myself and Rebecca, they can, um, they can do that and, and go to the website to get information about that legacy trip. So to conclude, will you share, and it's so funny because I know you've got a ton. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to narrow it down. Will you share a joy moment that you have had over the past 24 hours? <laughs> um, okay. Joy moment that I had over the past 24 hours. My, little boy, my eight-year-old trans son, he is ecstatic that his big brothers are both home with him right now. I have a 20-year-old and a 16-year-old that are home. Um, He just loves how boyish they are. So anyway, so they're playing video games together. Uh, Sonny has this little, that's my eight-year-old, Sonny has this little YouTube channel that he's kind of given up on because he doesn't really know how to like film these video games that he makes. And he was getting down about it. And my 20 year old Calvin must have heard the conversation happening downstairs about Sonny wanting to quit. And he came down and he said, mom, can I make a video with Sonny? And I said, yeah. And he spent all day learning this program to make the video the way Sonny wanted to do it. Like these YouTubers that he follows and they made, I'm going to send it to you because I just think it was so cute. This um, like seven minute video of them playing a skateboarding game together. And it was like the cutest thing that I've ever seen. It just, just the kindness, you know, like we look at our teenagers and we're like, I think I'd be all right. Like, who am I sending out into the world? (laughs) Yes. You start feeling a little like, have I made somebody like not so great? And then something like that happens and you're like, all right. 
all right, I'm, I'm still doing okay in the mothering thing. But it was really beautiful. And the joy and Sunny, it's so important for him to like be a boy and be, mm-hmm. and like show up as a boy and like do boy stuff. And it was just really freaking cute. I just love it. Oh, I love that. And I love the way that Calvin sees his little brother and knows mm-hmm. to come in and, and just show up for him that way. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you. For yeah. That. Well, Rebecca Baruki, I have really appreciated you um, in my life and having this conversation with me. Where can everyone find you? And okay. Zara. I'm Zara. Go to bexlife.com, B-E-X life. It's a silly name. I regret picking it 11 years ago, (laughs) but that's where I am. And I love hanging out on Instagram and currently, and through this, this global pandemic crisis that we're, we're having, I'm going to be doing daily live meditations at 11, 11 AM. Um, but you can find out all the information on that just by going to my Instagram. I, I, I put them there every day too. So you can watch them in replay. And I want you to join me because they're actually really good and everyone can do them. They're easy. They really are really good. And I, uh, am, I use them and I meditate with you online. And so Yay. I vouch for that as well. So wonderful. Thank you, Bex. Thank you. Hey, everybody. It's Bex again. I know you just listened to the podcast with Tina and I'm so grateful that you got to the end of this because they've given me another chance to talk to you. I wanted to elaborate on the Own Voices campaign, something that We Penny Press is so committed to. And I wanted to highlight someone and something that I'm very excited about, my dear friend, Addie Durant and her book, The Day We Found Our Yay. Hey, Addie! Hey, Bex, how are you? (laughs) I'm good, like we weren't just talking two minutes ago. I know. (laughs) So um, I'm really, really excited about your book for a thousand different reasons. I love the brand, the Yay 9 brand, about these three little girls, Joyce, Lulu, and Violet. And before you tell me about the girls, I just wanted to explain to everybody what the Own Voices campaign is about and why it is so important. So... Own Voices is the commitment to making sure that, or our commitment really, to publishing books where the author shares the identity with the main character. So if the main character is Black, then the author is going to be Black. If they belong to the LGBTQ community, then it's going to be the same for the author. And, you know, with my book, um, Zara is a biracial little girl, and I'm a biracial woman. And you, Abby, you're Black, in case you didn't know, right? Is that correct? <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for the reminder. Yes. I just wanted to let everyone listen to you. <laughs> and um, these little girls, they're three little Black girls. Tell me about Joyce, Lulu, and Violet, where you got the inspiration for these girls, and really what, what they mean to you. Okay. Joyce, Lulu, and Violet are reflections and facets of the personalities of my mother, Joyce, my sister, Crystal, and my older sister, Crystal, and myself. You had um, to say she was older, right? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the lineage, you know, I just yeah, want to yeah. get a visual of the lineage. And so, you know, for I'm an artist, a graphic designer, and for a while I was into vinyl art toys, like kid robot kind of things. And I noticed that a lot of the characters were like 
inanimate objects or animals, or if they were black or brown, they were graffiti artists or basketball players and athletes. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted something to reflect my childhood and um, also have a, a futuristic feel. So I created the girls and it just came out that each girl Joyce, Lulu, and Violet um, reflect the personalities of my mother, my sister, and I in that they are cool with being themselves. That's what Ye is all about. They're happy to be nine years old. And once they realize that, you know, when you embrace your uniqueness, there's magic there and that can take you anywhere to, into the universe. So first we have Joyce. Joyce is the life of the party. She is just like my mother. My mother was hilarious and fun and everyone wanted to talk to her. And she just has no fear. She loves bubblegum. She's into pop culture. She DJs in her spare time. And she's just straightforward. She tells it like it is. Then we have Lulu, who is a little flighty. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's a lot like me. She's a little flighty and people don't expect a lot of things from her. Um, and she's okay with that because she is grounded and centered and it doesn't matter what other people think. She's just going to do her thing. And if they are impressed or surprised by her, that's, it's all good. Mm -hmm. She's into aeronautics. She's building a spaceship with her friend, Sid. Mm -hmm. And um, she's just she's just bubbly and giggly, and she laughs a lot, and she's just sweet as pie. And then there's Violet, who I think is largely based on my personality versus my mom and my sister. She's very soft spoken. Um, she meditates every day. She uses a poster of Jimi Hendrix as her focal point. Um, <laughs> she's very that. grounded. She, you know, she. She doesn't really talk a lot, but when she has something to say, people listen. So I would say Joyce is a lot more like my mother, Joyce, and my sister, Crystal. And then Lulu and Violet are like a combination of my personality. Love it. You know, I, I would say that most people listening to this who know me, or when I share this with my audience, they're going to think like I'm the Violet because of the meditation, but I 100% identify with Lulu. Like she, yes. she's my girl. She, because A, she's just off in her own world and she just does not care. And no. people don't know this, but I'm going to give a spoiler. So Sid is her little friend that she's, her little alien friend that she's building this spaceship with. And you'll see it in the social media. We're going to start sharing um, pictures of like all the characters and he's kind of like Mr. Snuffleupagus, right? Like yeah. people don't believe in him, but but Lulu can see him right. and he's totally real. And she just like does not care. She's like, I believe and this is my thing and nobody needs to believe for me to get things done. So I I love Lulu. I just think she's, yeah. she's the bee's knees. Um, that's so corny. <laughs> so um, why I'm really, really excited about kids getting their hands on the day we found our yay is because it teaches them to embrace their uniqueness, but it's also modeling it with three little black girls and bringing it back to own voices. It's so important to not only to have authors being able to tell their own stories from their own experiences, but for the white parents out there listening, I want you to know that it's not enough to just put books with black characters on your kids' bookshelves. They need to be authentic. They need to be real stories. So go beyond looking just at the title or the, the cover with the picture. It's like, oh, okay, so there's like a black kid or an Indian kid or an Asian kid. And learn about the artist. Learn about the, uh, the author. Um, you know, 
Addie's an author illustrator, which is like, so you're getting like the whole shebang there. Uh, and I want you to know that it's just, it's just so important to learn authentic stories or you're really never going to understand or really take that journey in anti-racism and take that journey to understanding other cultures. If, if, if you look at the statistics, most of the characters, most of the black and brown characters that are being written are being written by white folks. And that's just, that's just not the way to learn. So I just, I want, I want you to hear that. I want to make that point. And that's why it's so important for We Penny Press um, to make that commitment and why we're sticking to that commitment to own voices. But Addie, what would you love people to know before we go about um, what they, what this book means to you and why it's so important that, that this book gets out to people? This book for me is um, an homage to my mother and the creative and interesting and loving ways she taught my sister and I how to cope with being the only Black children in our section of Allentown at the time. And there are a lot of, a lot of little Black girls that, that need this. I in the period of developing this book and the characters, I realized as a woman how much more I needed these girls in my life. I don't have any biological children, and so I feel like they're they're my girls. And I was influenced by graphically driven brands and products, and none of them really reflected me as a child. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be that creative influence for little girls and surround them with images of themselves so they're reminded just how special they are at all times. I love that. I love that. And I'm so, I feel so proud and privileged to be able to help you bring this out into the world. I know how much it's nourished me over the years as a grown up, as a grown up woman, because <laughs> I know how much it's going to do for little ones. Um, since speaking of racism have given us this time, I'm going to hijack it for just one more minute to say, please, please, please follow Addie and Yay9. The um, links are going to be, I'm sure, in their show notes. So follow her on Instagram, follow Yay9 on Instagram, see the amazing, amazing work that she's doing on the book. I'm so excited to preview this. Um, and I'm going to be sharing it all week as like the next phase of this campaign. So Yeah, I'll see you all. If you have any questions, let us know. And thank you, Jen and Tina, for giving us this time. We took a lot. (laughs) Thank you so much. And thank you to Grapes for the music. The song is I Don't Know. 